Hello, I'm Christopher Powell, Executive Director of Pittsburgh Festival Opera. And I'm Marianne Cornetti, International Songbird and Artistic Director of the Pittsburgh Festival Opera. Welcome to Unstaged, the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's new podcast. We're excited to share our insights and stories and our hopes for the future of opera from our perspective behind the scenes and backstage. So won't you join us on this adventure as we dive into the wonderful world of opera and all of the facets this gem has to offer all of us. Chris, we have a really great show today for our listeners. I, I have to say I'm, I'm quite emotional, um, and I know that you know our special guest, and it really is um, exciting because I haven't seen this wonderful artist for quite some time. We have internationally acclaimed, award-winning, Emmy-winning baritone and opera star, Michael Kioldi. Hey, everyone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Michael, it is so great that you're here with us today. Um, I can't even remember when the last time I saw you. I know. I can't. We were trying to place it just a moment ago, and it's been so long. I know that the very first time we worked together was in 1996. Seven. seven? Six or seven. Yeah. Somewhere around there, Washington National Opera. And then uh, <laughs> we worked together again sort of later, in, uh, maybe five or six years later in France. Yes. In Montpellier. Yes. Uh, we had such a good time together. We always have had such a good time together. And I'm thrilled that you're here at this company and thrilled that Chris is here as well. And um, and the level of uh, artist that you're getting here is just amazing. Not just myself, of course, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, my colleagues who are coming to sing this season as well. I'm so, so thrilled for you, for Pittsburgh, for the arts community here. It's really amazing. Do you know what, Michael? Thank you for saying all of those wonderful things. Uh, we certainly, Chris and I certainly have uh, built the company up in, in a different way, and it's all due to relationships. I totally agree. You know, um, I remember when I, uh, oh, I think it was about three years ago, I started to think about, I've always wanted to run a company. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, I was in almost to my 30th year of singing. And you start to think about, of you know, course. the next What's stage. Next? Oh. Absolutely. And I went to Josh Winograde mm. when he was at the Met. And I'll never forget, he said, I said, Josh, do I need to go back and get a master's degree for this, you know, to think about running a company? And you know what he said to me? He said, Marianne Cornetti, it's all about relationships. He said, you've lived this career. 
Well, I mean, I mean, international star in your own right and tra traveled all over the world and the connections we make with people. And, and you and I, we're sort of the same that way. We can talk to a brick wall. Oh, you so <laughs> <laughs> we can make friends with anyone. And honestly, um, some people may see that as sort of like superfluous, but I think it's really essential. It's uh, something that is like through the fabric of the arts community, where we really do go away from our own homes and our own families, and we create that wherever we are. We have our chosen family, our families away from home, and those relationships are just as valid and just as real as the ones that are every day when you're at home. Absolutely right, because uh, our homes become uh, when Where we go are. out. Yes, absolutely. They have to be. They have to be. Um, uh, How many months on the road were, were you on the road? Oh my gosh, when I was in truly the, the real height of my career, I could be gone for six months at a time. Exactly. Throughout Ten the months year. out of the year. Yes, And so total. maybe two months at home and not all together. Right. A week here, a day there. Absolutely. So, and I always stayed in hotels. I remember that about yes, you. Yes, because I could not stand to be in someone else's apartment where there was no real communication. I I need to talk to somebody. Yes, yeah. It can be very isolating at times, and I understand like staying in a hotel. Yes, I totally get that. Absolutely. Uh, and I would then go back to the same hotels, and you walk in, ah, Signora Cornetti, oh, come stai, un piacere ti vederti, blah, blah, blah. I know, I know. And that makes you feel welcome and, and welcome. You feel like a place becomes home. Uh, the companies where we've worked many, many times, you go back, and it's so welcoming. Absolutely I right. I just love that about the business. Well, I really love it. I do. And those relationships that you make then carry on to what you're doing right now, which I think is so amazing. And you do think about those things when I'm in my, what, 32nd year of uh, professional opera singing. And, um, you know, as you get older, you think, oh, okay, if the voice doesn't work so well this year, or if things are happening, or even if it is working well, and you still have great jobs lined up, you think about then, what about the next five years or 10 years. And I'm so happy that there's sort of a trend, which maybe you spearheaded, where more singers are starting to run opera companies again. So I, I love that. I, I really am uh, very happy to be in this position. Um, it sort of had just fallen into my lap, uh, you know, and... Uh, well, Pittsburgh's lucky. We're lucky. All of us who are coming to perform, we're lucky that you're here and we're so happy that that you guys are are spearheading this company and well it's great it's been a lot of fun chris hasn't it oh it, it's been a blast so far and we have many years in front of us to make some more uh, memories for us and for pittsburgh absolutely but speaking of pittsburgh michael is actually from pittsburgh and how great is it that we get to have michael at the carnegie music hall just coming up here very soon and uh in, in your hometown how does that feel to you michael I mean, I'm so thrilled to be coming here. My whole family's thrilled. Um, everyone's already clamoring for tickets, which is so exciting. And um, I mean, I remember when I was, I grew up in a very small town outside of, uh, oh, like Monroeville area. Avonmore. Avonmore, yes. A very <laughs> small town, maybe 
Maybe a thousand people lived there when I was growing up, maybe a little more. It's a small little village, but it's so beautiful. Um, you know, it was a still uh, and coal town and it's been hit pretty hard financially lately, but my mother still lives there and I still have a lot of friends there and they will definitely be at the concert. So that's so great. I remember when I was going to school and we had a field trip to the uh, museum with the big dinosaur outside and everything. Right. And I remember touring that hall when I was young and from a very young age, I was, I always had sort of this performing bug. I wasn't sure if that's what I was going to do or not, but I always had the bug. So I remember walking into that hall and going, wow, how beautiful. And now I get to sing there. I'm so excited. We are thrilled, Michael, to have you um, just to come home. I know. And be able to be a part of this new concert series, which we're calling Legends in the Limelight. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. And uh, and I'm thrilled to have you uh, here with us. And being a Pittsburgher, we know that uh, there'll be a lot of people that will want to see you that probably don't typically get to see you because you're in every major opera house around America and extensively throughout uh, the rest of the world. So it's wonderful to come home and sing. I'm so thrilled. And to do a recital is is really thrilling. You know, I really put a lot of time into the uh, thought about the programming and and to be able to be here home where, like you said, people may not get access to me in a live setting and now they will i'm really thrilled about that it's always great to come home always that's, great to come home that's awesome september 14th 7 30 p.m carnegie music hall michael kildy will be touching our hearts and wowing us michael i just i wanted to ask you um you know we're we're moving on now in within the pandemic. We're still in the throes of it. Um, I know that you had, you were one of the the artists that were out early, you know, when the pandemic was pretty, it was going pretty uh, full tilt, but you, you were able to perform. And I think it was February. Is that correct? That's correct. At, at Palm, Palm Beach. Beach Opera. Yes. And what did you sing? I sang uh, Tonio and Pagliacci, which is one of my favorite roles. I just love Sipuo, which is one of the great, I think one of the greatest arias ever written and one of the great roles, sort of the anti-hero in a way. Um, such a, an amazing opera. Um, I just, I was so fortunate when the pandemic hit, I remember I was rehearsing Eugene Onyegin with Palm Beach Opera. And it was Friday the 13th of March. Yes. I remember that day when they made the announcement. We had been there maybe just one week. And David Walker, who was a former singer and now is running Palm Beach Opera, he was a countertenor. And I remember singing with David back in the old New York City opera days. And, um, and David came in and called us all together and he said, I'm so sorry, but... Um, the state of Florida has shut things down and, and we had to go home. So I stayed an extra day just to enjoy some sunshine. And then I came home and I, it was almost a year 
But when I returned, I thought it was great that I returned to Palm Beach Opera. They really spearheaded this sort of great thing where they performed outside social in dis- a tent, wasn't it? No, that was Atlanta Opera with Tomer. This was uh, this was um, uh, Tomer Tsulun at Atlanta did a tent opera, and in Palm Beach we did at sort of a rock. Yes, like an amphitheater, amphitheater. amphitheater. Oh, huge, yeah. like like seats you know, 30, 40,000 people and sit on, you know, sort of like Hollywood Bowl kind of thing. Were there a lot of people there? There were more people than we thought were going to be, which was great. That's awesome. And um, people did come out. Uh, It was still sort of early days. It was. So people were still a little trepidatious. And I understand that. I totally understand that. But that got the ball rolling. And then I ended up going to a Seattle Opera to do a filmed version of Tosca doing Scarpia, which is one of the roles I do the most now. So I think Scarpia and Rigoletto are the two roles that I sing the most now, which I just love. Speaking of those roles, uh, Michael and I, <laughs> as Michael alluded uh, or, or talked about uh, our meeting our first meeting in with Washington National Opera, um, we started out with Il Barbieri di Siviglia. That's right. The Barber of Seville. And I was singing Berta. <laughs> you were singing Figaro. Kevin Glavin was singing Bartolo. And Vivica Genot was singing Rosina. Michael, I'm telling you, we had more fun Michael, I remember Michael picking me up. That's not happening these days. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I rem- we have a picture of Michael picking me up. That's uh, right. It was so much fun. I and- remember that one- we had a blast in that show, and the director could barely contain. <laughs> I mean, it was Leon Majors. Uh, and he's hysterical and as he's it hysterical is. hysterical He just let us run with the comedy. <laughs> and with, with Marianne and Kevin and I, it was ridiculous. And, it was. And Vivica, too. She was oh, in yeah. on everything. Yeah. I remember one of the shaving scenes. I was shaving Kevin and I turned around. We were using real shaving cream. And I was cleaning the... If you can envision... I'm over, he's in a chair and I'm over him and I'm shaving him and I'm wiping off the straight blade, the straight razor on a, a mappine, a sort of like a, a towel a on towel. my shoulder. And I get, so, I get so much on it that I turn around and I fling the mappine <laughs> to clean the, and it goes up over my head, lands straight in Kevin Glavin's mouth. And he doesn't spit it out. He doesn't even flinch. He continues to do the rest of the scene with shaving cream in his mouth. I mean, the audience went nuts. They went nuts. This this was my first professional job out of the Houston Grand Opera Studio was this, this job. And I thought... I definitely chose the right business because we had so much fun. Well, that's oh. the that's the beauty of singing with Kevin Glavin. You don't know what you're going to get every night. It's something new every night. Oh, my I mean, gosh. I mean, this city has such a rich culture. I mean, the jazz culture, the classical music culture, just the culture in general. Incredible. And I'm so happy that we're bringing... I, I thought it was so smart of you 
to to like create a recital series for the first thing back from the pandemic because you can bring in these sort of major stars and we can it's a very intimate setting in a way and it's it's just so cool it's such a great idea well uh, chris and i had talked about this because we were concerned especially this year coming back everything of course was repositioned and we know the the costs of doing productions. And Chris and I were, you know, the longer the pandemic was going, we were thinking, what could we do? And I, I just said to Chris, this is something I've always wanted to do. It hasn't, it hasn't been done here for years and years and years and years is a recital program. Why can't we do that? We, if we do it at the car, at the music hall, there's 1,900 seats there. You can distance people. Yes. And, uh, and so, what a great venue. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's what I consider grand and elegant. Absolutely. And to have, again, the contacts of you, Marjorie, Greg, uh, Greg Kunde, Alex Lucian. Right. Um, it's just incredible. And I've sung with all of them, actually, except for Marjorie. Marjorie and I were supposed to do a Flying Dutchman together, but it didn't happen. And so I think I'm still maybe doing it, and maybe she's not. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, Alex and I did um, Tosca together, and Greg and I did, oh gosh, years ago, before he was a dramatic tenor, Greg, Kundi, and I sang... Don Giovanni together in um, San Diego Opera. Oh yeah, that's that was his repertoire. Yes, that bel canto Rossini stuff. It was amazing. Uh, in still amazing. Mozart, yeah. yeah. And now I got to meet him and do my goodness, I don't know how many trovatores with him. I know. And there he is, going like crazy. Yeah. Um, it's just it's it's really wonderful, and it's wonderful to have this this level. Of singers here, right? And Michael, why do you think it's uh, important for companies to embrace recital work um, as well as the productions on the main stage? What is the um, why is it important for us to do something like that? Well, I think it exposes you to an artist in a different way. Um, the intimacy, the sort of different genres within the genre itself, the different styles of of song. Uh, and chanson and um, lead. It's just so intimate and it can expose you to a setting where you might connect in a completely different way than you would in an opera. Um, I know that for me, the expression is a bit more inward than say performing for four thousand people at the Metropolitan Opera, or at the Liceu in the big in the big European houses, and the connection to the text and your your connection with um, your collaborators, it's just so intimate and it's an art form that it rarely happens these days, um, which I think is a shame. It used to be very popular. It used to be very popular, and it it really showed different aspects of an artist's uh, palette. Um, 
maybe there's an operatic palette and within that palette there's different colors but in in something like art song or recital you can show a whole different side of yourself that maybe in a character in a grand opera you are limited to show so i think it's important um for the artist but also for the audience to expose them to to things like that i'm sure true two very different feelings exactly um, as a performer and um you know is there a favorite do you you know do you prefer um like the intimacy of that experience with your audience and do you get that same kind of feeling or similarly when you're in a role in on the main stage you know it's interesting because each song that you sing you create a character and within the art song maybe the whole cycle itself there are several different characters but you tell an overarching story so you, it's like opera short it's like in a way or <laughs> mm-hmm. opera short and more immediate right more intimate um you have to create the character quicker and in a much uh more intimate setting it's still based on an emotion. Absolutely. I think that's the the driving force is that it's still emotion and text and communication. Absolutely. And maybe it's more accessible to people than opera is in a way. I don't know. It just Good depends. Point. Interesting point, right. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there has been sort of a a loss of song recital. You know, yeah. Marilyn Horn has been on this path for a long, 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 long time to try to keep it going. And I feel very strongly we're going to continue it. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, I think that's in, fantastic. Yes, we are going to do it uh, into the, the, the next years. Um, I think it's really important to see the entire artist um, really in a, in a lot of ways just nude on stage. And I don't mean that in any other way other than exposed, exposed. Yeah. Absolutely. Where in an opera, you're standing behind right. a, a production. You've got makeup, you've got whatever. You have 80 pieces of in an orchestra pit yes. in front of you. You have lights. You don't really see the audience. It's a different type of communication than, yeah. than the art song is. Absolutely. Speaking of makeup, um, <laughs> I, I had seen on, well, on your social media, I believe a couple of years ago, you did, uh, it was a Respighi oh. opera, and, and it was Michael Chioldi, and you go ahead, go ahead and tell them what this, that you were transformed. This was uh, La Campana Somersa, which means the sunken bell, which was Respighi's sort of um, Rheingold, if, if there is a parallel. Um, it's an amazing opera. It is uh, Wagnerian in scale. And this was a co-production with New York, the new New York City Opera and Cagliari, one of the big uh, theaters in, in Italy. And um, they're like the 14 big companies in Italy and Cagliari is one of them. So it was a co-production. The production was stunning, absolutely stunning. And um, I remember I was singing somewhere and this was a situation where the baritone could not make it that the baritone that they had scheduled to sing the role of Londino, the lizard. <laughs> Fitting. The, thank you. 
No. So I remember getting a call from the general director and he said to me, oh, I said, well, is it the, is it a lead role? And he said, well, you're the lead baritone. And I said, well, can you tell me more about the role? And he said, well, you're like the old man in the well. And I said, how old? He said, doesn't have to be old. We won't make you that old. And I said, okay, fine. And he said, you have a week to learn it. Come on up. So then I found out maybe a week later that I was a lizard in the well. <laughs> so it's so, um, but the two sort of ariosos, the b- big uh, sections that I had to sing were some of the most lyrical because I was in love with the, the female lead who was done by Brandy Sutton, who was, who was discovered really in, in that, that production. In that production. And, um, gosh, I'm Georgie Eberhardt, who everyone knows in the business and one of the great, like, makeup professionals in our business did my makeup for that show. And I remember I had maybe 90 minutes in the makeup chair. Is that it? Yeah. But I had like 15 people working on me. Right. Like doing nails, putting on green fingernails and scales and doing my face. And it was, it just- was extensive and we'll, we'll have to put some uh, uh, clips up on the, uh, on our, on our website. So people can see that it's incredible what was done. Oh, it's amazing how makeup and that kind of extensive makeup can really help the character. I Totally was transformed into the character and I just went with it. Mm -hmm. They painted my tongue red. So I did a lot of tongue acting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not something you hear every day. (laughs) So I had a little lizard cry, which was really cool. And um, the funny part is though, Marianne and Chris is that I didn't really want to do it. You know, I wasn't like, I looked at the, not that I only do starring roles. That's not what I'm saying. But it wasn't, I only had like five days to learn it. It was kind of a stressful situation. It, but it was one of those things that became one of the most rewarding situations in my entire career. Like 16 rave reviews, even though the role wasn't like one of the bigger roles in the opera, came away smelling like a rose and able to really enjoy myself too. Sometimes if you do lead roles and you're in the makeup chair for 90 minutes, you're like, well, when am I going to warm up? When am I, you know, you have to worry about a different set of things than if you're doing sort of a, still a leading role, but sort of not as big where the stress isn't, you're not carrying the whole weight of the show on your shoulders. It's a different type of thing. So I could sort of have a little more fun with it. And I just had a blast and I just went with it. I remember them saying, oh, you're, you have to appear from underneath the stage. So I was in a little box underneath the stage for about 20 minutes. So, you know, it wasn't that it wasn't taxing vocally, but at this point in my career, it was quite a bit easier than, say, a Rigoletto or a Tonio. I mean... Do you know, Michael, that that makes me uh, want to just touch on the audience sees the final product. They have no really idea what a singer really has to do to prepare to get to that final step. And there is a lot. I mean, you're talking about being in a little box for 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. Standing, 
I was sitting. No, oh, there was sitting. not enough room to stand. Oh, so my I goodness. had to be sort of crouched in this little box underneath, which was the well. It was a raked stage. And so, I mean, it just was. It's incredible. And even your, because I, as I, as you were talking about the length of time for your makeup for an hour and a half, most singers have to prepare at least I did. I was, I am still very conscientious about, because I warm up for an hour and 15 minutes or so. Right. And I have to have that all planned out where I'm doing it and whatnot. And and I did a, and I eat at Covent Garden where that makeup took two and a half hours. Oh my gosh. And so that kind of preparation, even for the rehearsals that started at 1030 in the morning. Right. And I came from an hour out of the city. So, People don't quite realize all of that that's put into that final moment. Of course. It's just not, boom, there it is. Right. There are all of these different steps. I think and people are fascinated by that as well. Absolutely. So they're like, so if you have to spend two hours in the makeup chair, and I have a very extensive warm-up too. So if I were doing a bigger role, like a big Verdi role, I certainly would have warmed up more than Londino the Lizard. Sure. <laughs> but uh, not to demean the character because it came off amazingly. Sure. But it just wasn't so challenging for me vo right. vocally. Right. It was a pretty easy turn for me. But had I been doing Rigoletto, I have the same thing. I think the great singers that I'm singing with these days, like Sandra Radvanowski and Piotr Beshawa and Jonas Kaufman, everyone has their warm-up. I think at this level that we're at, you have to because the audience is paying a lot of money to see you. And everyone that I know at that level has a regime that is really that works for them they've worked it out and you really do have to like move around things and schedule it out because i don't feel comfortable i don't know about you but i never felt comfortable singing where i was staying i never right. felt comfortable i mean you mean as far as you were saying in a, an apartment in a or airbnb oh, yeah. or uh yeah or never sang like in the that. hotel room right never. or in a hotel which just most recently i was in a hotel in seattle and we were doing a recording of tosca with the seattle symphony and i was like well are there places to warm up and at the um, uh I forget the name of the hall there where we were rehearsing, but so Benaroya, Benaroya Hall. Yes, thank you, Chris. Sure. And um, so I, I made sure that they had a spot for me that was COVID safe, where they felt comfortable with me and my big voice. <laughs> <laughs> it is Sing, that singing, you know, so they wouldn't feel nervous. So, but I because I just couldn't warm up in my hotel room i would feel self-conscious one and i never would feel like my warm-up was my warm-up because i was would be concerned about the noise i was making at the hotel it's so funny you say that because my warm-up to me is holy yeah it really is it's my time and i do n i never having a big voice mm -hmm. being in a small dressing room forget it I never warmed up in my dressing room. I would always go find a big room somewhere right. where I could warm up, be alone, um, not constantly being, um, not that there's anything wrong with this, but uh, interrupted. Right. It's that focus. You, you really try to focus in 
on the rhythm of your body and your voice. And the breathing. In the breathing. And people would say, oh my goodness, Mariana, we can't find you. And and I had to then learn to right. tell them where I was going to be. Please, please, it's... I, I need my own yeah, time. Yeah, I just right. need to be quiet. Well, I remember speaking of big voices. So when I started singing, I was a very lyric baritone. And I, Barbara Seville, of course, is one of the great lyric baritone roles. Yeah. And I was so fortunate to be able to do that with you and Kevin and Vivica. And I remember coming in and hearing Marianne as Bertan going, my goodness, <laughs> that is a big voice. It was so much fun. But like, I, as a baritone, either the voice will grow into that or it won't. And I remember being sort of in my mid-30s, getting my first escamillo. I'd never sung the aria. It was a bit low for me. Uh, I always had the high notes. That was sort of my God-given gift in a way, and I cultivated that. And then I sort of, you know, moved into the big bel canto repertoire, like I did a lot of Enrico's and Lucia and, and sort of worked that way and then started doing all of the Verdi. So I've done 13 Verdi operas now. Verdi's my hero. I mean, he loved the baritone. I mean, come on. How many title characters are baritones in, in Verdi operas? A lot. And even, even if you're not, if you're like Papa Germont, like that, what a great, that oh. is a star turning role. And that, a Rigoletto. Oh my gosh. Rigoletto, Nabucco, uh, Macbetto. Macbetto, yeah. Falstaff, which you, I haven't done my first one yet. I've done a lot of really? Fords. Yes, yeah. but my belly's almost big enough now that I'm ah. doing Falstaff. Actually, I'm losing the COVID weight. I'm losing it. <laughs> Do you know, uh, when, when you talk about those dramatic roles, you are now considered one of the leading uh, dramatic Verdi, why well, I call you a, a real Verdi baritone, yeah, yeah. Uh, baritones that we have today. And, you know, Michael, that, that, that journey, as you said, you can go one way or you could go another way. And you kept going into that. You could hear it even in the color of your voice, mm -hmm. where it was going to go. You told me from a very young age, you're yes. like, I hear Verdi on your voice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And now to be able to do those kinds of roles all around the world, it must be so satisfying. I know um, we have a, a great connection with the Liceo in Barcelona. That's right. That public adores you. Oh, my gosh. And you, you, you stepped in... Uh, I was, was I was doing Andrea Chenier. Mm -hmm. I was second cast to Carlos Alvarez, who is not only one of the world's great baritones, but a huge star in Spain. I mean, idolize. And he should be. He should be, I yes. mean, what a wonderful man, a great colleague. Uh, I was second cast to him, so I still, it was my debut in the theater and my debut in the role. And so he fell ill, and I had maybe four hours notice to go on. And this was with Jonas Kaufman and Sandra Ravanowski. And I remember <laughs> the very first aria is my aria. So I'm preset. And I remember the general director at the time was Christina Scheppelmann went on and she, Senora, Senoras, said, Mi disculpa, but uh, Carlos Alvarez is sick and groans from the groans. Oh I was like, could God. they wait and call me until they make the announcement? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember. 
by the time we got to Nemico della Patria, which is also one of the baritone repertoire, dramatic baritone repertoire's greatest arias, I, I could sense that the audience was, I was winning them. And I had literally like a minute applause after my aria. And I was standing there. It was like a soccer match. They are so passionate and so thrilling. They love opera and great voices so much. And I was so filled with joy. And when I left, there were hordes of people, young kids, like and their parents and like teenagers and, and, uh, you know, millennials. And that was amazing waiting for my autograph. And it was outside the stage outside door. the stage door and yeah. I didn't leave for like another hour because I was just it was such a remarkable experience and then I was invited back the following year to sing Miller and Louisa Miller with uh, Piotr Beshawa and Sandra Ravanowski I am so happy that you know we're we're number one. We're getting out of this COVID nightmare uh, because to to have those feelings that you've had in the past and and um, in those audiences who appreciate the you know the work you've done, but also the feelings that you gave to them. Right. Um. To not have that over at least the last year, at least. Right. Um. And to be coming back from that, that must be also very emotionally overwhelming. I mean, I remember in Palm Beach, uh, Patrick Summers was conducting. Patrick runs Houston Grand Opera, right. which where I was a young artist. Uh, he wasn't there when I was there, but he now runs the company. And he was conducting the Palm Beach Orchestra and their fantastic orchestra. And I remember them starting, dun, 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 dun. It's the beginning of the opera. And I just like welled up in tears, <laughs> like everyone did. Ana yeah. Maria Martinez oh. was my Nedda, Nedda. and um, I was, everyone just welled up in tears. <sighs> we were just like, oh, so happy that we <laughs> yeah. were back with live theater, with live theater. I have a really good story about Palm Beach. I was at, um, at a lunch and I had a day off, a free day, and I was meeting some friends and they were late and I had maybe a drink or two and we were sitting there and it was one of those great beautiful days uh, in like February in Florida yes and we're sitting there it was a very long lunch and the restaurant was packed it was outside and um, I across the way was some little girl's birthday and I had just enough to drink to feel bold enough to say, oh, what was, what's your name? And I just sang, you know, happy birthday, dear, whatever, happy birthday to you. And, um, you know, of course, the, the whole restaurant erupted in applause, and it ended up that it was um, Dr. Oz. Oh, it was oh, yeah. Dr. Oz's daughter, who had a show on TV called The Chew, and she, like, was a cooking show, and it was her granddaughter, it was her daughter, Dr. Oz's granddaughter that I sang happy birthday to. So then, of course, her social media presence is huge, like millions of followers on Instagram. She posted pictures of me and uh, on Instagram. And when after they were done with their lunch, they came up to our table and they said, thank you so much. And they sent us over like a bottle of something and some dessert. And we went to pay and there was no bill like someone, you know, but we told them that we were doing the opera and they showed up at the opera the next day. They came to the opera, which was amazing. Now, the next day was the day of the performance and 
some random person I've not heard from in forever got in touch with me and said, oh my gosh, I always knew you were going to be famous. <laughs> so, and it, I ended up, it was all because I was on Dr. Oz's daughter's Instagram feed. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that day I got like 2000 followers on Instagram just from that moment. But the, the moral of the story, the point is, is that people were so hungry for live performance and to hear, just to hear one strain of happy birthday from an operatic voice, that is, that is something that I love about what we do, Marianne. Because, it's the ability to touch. Yes, because that, of course, opera is, opera is completely acoustic right yes and the power that we generate from our voices is that type of resonance really quote unquote resonates with people like touches them in a a way that nothing else can absolutely because the 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 power of the human voice uh when it's trained as we are trained it is something that is so unusual because People look at you and say, where does that sound come from? Exactly. And it is so unusual. It's, it's, um, it's not like sitting down and playing a piano. Uh, it, because attached to all of that training is our heart. And your soul. And our soul. Yeah, absolutely. That's and that's true. how we have the ability to touch so many people. And it, do you know, it, it's, a, it's a privilege to do what we do, isn't it, Michael? It's a calling. It, it really is, a, is. It is a privilege. And um, after a certain point, you reach a certain level in your career and you, you realize that that's, when, that's what becomes the most important thing to you. That this like, is what you were meant to do. Right, right. I just want to ask you, hmm, I understand that you have a quite the title of being a berry hunk. <laughs> <laughs> Tell well, us a little bit about being a berry I hunk. Think my berry hunk uh, uh, days have evolved. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone through like the young, attractive berry hunk to like I'm more like now in the daddy stage of berry hunk. <laughs> <laughs> More, but but it, it's totally true. I mean, there is a whole uh, sect of like opera lovers who just love the baritone voice too. Yes, and they love that sort of like warm, soulful kind of like it's like a bear hug in a way. It's spelled differently, but in a way. It's, and Michael Kioldi, your hugs are so warm and wonderful, <laughs> and I mean that. In the, the the most wonderful way, because that is who you are. You you just love everybody, and uh, Barry Hunk or not, I had heard about Barry Hunks, but I I had never met one, so I feel really lucky to have met the, one now of them. Now you met one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you knew me when. That's it. I wanted to ask, Michael, what's coming up for you? Well, I'm, I'm returning to Seattle Opera to do Marcello and La Boheme, and then I will be at the Met um, all next season uh, for Rigoletto and uh, Enrico and Lucia and for, um, gosh, there's one more in there. Scarpia, of course. So I'm covering um, and there may be a couple performances in there. We're not sure yet. But, right. Um, right. I, I was scheduled to do some Nabucco's 
before the pandemic hit. And then, you know, the way things played out, we weren't sure exactly where to go. I had some other offers from different companies and we ended up settling with, with this for the season. And um, I'm really thrilled. I also have um, a concert, a private concert that I'm giving for Austin Opera, which is one of the companies that I sing at very often. I just love it there. And I've gotten to know the board quite well. And I, I really love singing there. And Annie, as the leader there, is, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy it there. That is just wonderful. Um, it, it's, it's a pleasure to see you and that you're doing so, so well. And you're touching lives. You're also touching young lives coming up with your teaching. Right. Um, you're doing a lot of teaching, and you started teaching quite early, didn't you? I did. Um, I remember shortly after we met, um, in, I started to teach here and there. I gave a lot of master classes. I was um, singing at places like Glimmerglass or Santa Fe and Chautauqua, and I would work with their young artists. Um and I would just offer my time because I really enjoyed it. It also helped my own singing and the understanding of my own technique. So at that point, sort of mid-30s in my career, I'm 52 now. <laughs> but um, in that point in my career, um, I, I really didn't teach a lot privately, but I started to build my studio. And I had maybe 10 to 12 students when the pandemic hit. And then I expanded my studio and I have about 30 students now that I work with. I probably see between 15 and 20 of them a week, realistically. And um, That's a lot, Michael. It is a lot. It's yeah. a lot of work, especially at that level. I'm very fortunate that most of the singers that I have are at a very high level. And I'm so pleased, so pleased about that. It really is wonderful. I just want to read something um, because I think it's a humongous um, compliment to you and who you are um, as a singer and an artist. It was a privilege to hear Michael Kioldi debut this role and who, I am sure, will inherit the baton of the great Rigoletto of our time, Leonucci. What a great, powerful voice, and what an enthralling actor. It is the most emotional and compelling Rigoletto I have ever seen. And that was one of your critics. That was from Guadalajara in Mexico, and it was my debut in the role. There you go. Yeah. And they are very educated. They know opera. They certainly do. And I think that speaks very highly of uh, your artistry and, uh, you know, you at being a fantastic singer. There is so much more, Michael, for you out there. Um, these wonderful roles, Scarpia, that you've done, what, more than 150 times? Yeah. No, no, what was more it? More than 50. More, more than 50, and is it Germont? Uh, Germont, yeah. That you've sung yeah. so many times. Yeah. Now Trovatore. Right. I'm holding on. You know what? Let's get a contract here pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> got to get it, it. done. Let's we got to do get it. it done, Michael. We got to get it done. But uh, uh, 
I would love I would love to do that sometime. I would love to do that. I mean, oh, that scene my. we have together is one of the great scenes oh, in opera. Absolutely. So I would love to do that with yep. you. To be captured by uh, <laughs> <laughs> you and old Fer- Ferrando there. Oh, my goodness sakes. Well, Chris. Oh, I think our audience is, is in for a real treat. Boy. When Michael is on the stage of Carnegie Music Hall. Uh, coming up uh, in September. Yes, it's. Uh, we are looking forward to this, Michael, and I cannot thank you for accepting and coming. Mm, we as your you. hometown uh, fans are going to be there just cheering you on and, uh, and so proud of you. Thank you both so much. I look forward to being here and singing here and coming back home. So to all of our listeners again... Get your tickets for Michael Kioldi, Carnegie Music Hall, September 14th at 7.30 p.m. Believe me, it will be a wonderful experience. Tickets are at www.pittsburghfestivalopera.org. Unstaged, the podcast, is produced by Natalie Bensavenga and is engineered and edited by Ian Cramond. For more episodes, information on the Pittsburgh Festival Opera's upcoming season, and access to digital content, visit pittsburghfestivalopera.org for more details.